Let's linger in that space for a few more moments in prayer. Father, we want to acknowledge Jesus and only Jesus. For he is the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. May there be nothing higher in our life. May there be no stronghold, O oh God, that keeps us captive and bound. But may you be our high place and you alone. May you be our stronghold, our strong tower, and you alone, O oh God. May God's people run into that tower and in that place find freedom and release, O oh God. I pray, Father, that we would truly give over all of the things that are binding us, keeping us from the kind of relationship, the freedom of relationship that we ought to have with Christ, the freedom that we must have because you have paid for it, the freedom we must have in Christ to praise you and to live free, O oh God. And so we thank you and we ask you and we invite you, Lord, now to teach us from your word. I pray that our hearts would be teachable right now and that what you have to say to us would linger long in the deep places of our life and be manifest in our life, in how we live, and how we live in Christian community together. For, Lord, you are teaching us this. You are teaching us the basic principles of living together in Christian community. And we desire that this community of faith would be pleasing in your sight. So, correct, make course corrections that you see are necessary. And I pray, Father, that we would submit ourselves to you. Take us now into your word with... Uh, hearts that are open and willing to hear, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, next to the picture of myself and my bride, I think this might be my favorite picture. <laughs> How many of you know the two people in this, in this picture? Can I see your hands? All right, not everybody. Uh, interestingly, when I... Uh, showed this picture uh, this week to some of the younger staff members who will remain nameless. They were in one accord, sure they knew who one person was, even though it's 10 years ago. But one in our office said, I, I want to say that, is, is that you with Billy Graham? <laughs> that's, that's the best one I've ever heard. That's a really good one. And uh, I wish I was there with Billy Graham. But that is the great Bobby Orr and me. Um, this, ex I, I, this explains why I'm a Boston Bruin fan. Because in my childhood when I was very young, my father introduced me to this Oshawa general by the name of Bobby Orr, who was an up-and-comer. And, -comer. and uh, my dad was a Leaf fan, and is, still is, and, and has suffered all these years, but um, 
he introduced me, and, and I strayed then to become a Boston Bruin fan. And uh, you can imagine that this picture happened because one day a man who's very near and dear to my heart in this congregation by the name of Mr. Chuck Powers picked my wife and I up in, I think, his 53 Cadillac or whatever year that thing is, and got us in the car and said, uh, just get in the car, I'm not telling you where we're going. So when Chuck Powers tells you to get in a car, you get in the car. So I got in the car, and, and uh, I wasn't disappointed. He took me to a meet and greet uh, of my childhood idol, the great Bobby Orr. And um, it, was, it was a great... Uh, a great night, and, and uh, I need to, to confess something to you, a bitterness that I've held in my heart over all these years, which you've probably noticed, as to why I'm, I, I don't like the Maple Leafs, and, and uh, it's quite simple. As I was growing up, Toronto Maple Leaf fans always booed the great Bobby Orr. Now you can imagine how that scarred a young man growing up, having uh, Maple Leaf fans, and so I have this scar, but I as of today, have forgiven you all. <laughs> I, need, I need to get this off, I need to get this bitterness away from me. And so I've forgiven you all. You can imagine the great delight when um, the Lord was calling me to Oshawa, that soared in my heart. I was thinking, well, Lord, I know it's a tough assignment, but it is the junior home of Bobby Orr. There will be many, many Bobby Orr fans in Oshawa. There will be many, many Boston Bruin fans. I'll be back with my people. So yes, Lord, I'm hearing you. I will go to Oshawa. You can imagine the shock when I arrived here and, and found out that not enough of you, not enough of you, love the great Bobby Orr. Do I have anybody, do I have anybody out there who's with me? Well, you know what? I, I'm feeling better already this morning. Nick isn't, of course. He's a Montreal Canadian fan, but he likes Bobby. He, he knows about job survival. <laughs> but in all these years of being a fan of Bobby Orr, I learned a couple of things. Number one, I didn't become any better at hockey because I was a fan of Bobby Orr. You have to get actually on the ice yourself and, and uh, learn the game and improve yourself. And, and actually, I also learned that, that you just become a critic. When you're an idol of somebody like of that caliber, and by the way, he is the greatest hockey player of all time. I've seen them all. I've seen Gordie Howe. I've seen Wayne Gretzky. He is the greatest hockey player of all time. Don Cherry and I agree on that. <laughs> but I, you become a critic because you see how great he is and you look at other people and you think how lame they are with the maple leaf on their sweater. And you realize it hasn't all gone. It takes a while. Sanctification takes a while. And you realize that, that you just become a critic. And this is what the Apostle Paul was addressing in Corinth. No, not Bobby Orr, not the Boston Bruins. But he was addressing, and he's, from the very beginning of his letter, he's still on this theme of idolizing leaders and idolizing people. And he's saying, listen, if you're going to continue uh, with this, I'm uh, following Apollos, and I'm following Paul, and I'm following Cephas, if you're going to continue to do this, you're going to become nothing but lame in your Christian life because, because you're going to sit and watch them, you're going to become a spectator, you're not going to get in there in the trenches and find out what it is to do life in Christ yourself, and you're just going to become a critic. 
You're going to continue to fight and quarrel with each other because you're going to look at how they do it. You're going to be comparing them to how another person does it. You're just going to get into fights and quarrels. And this has got to stop in the church. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm, I found out this morning we're not going to have time to get into chapter 4. So we're going to stay with chapter 3. But in Corinth, they were ardent fans of certain leaders. They were spectators. They were selective participants. And they were mostly critics and consumers and had misplaced in every possible way the right values that we ought to have in the Christian community. So uh, having said that, we're going to look this morning at what harvest helpers and temple builders are really all about. And whether we're constructive people or we're destructive people. So we're going to look at how to do God's work in the midst of hero worship values and competitive environments. And out of the text this morning, I'm, we're not going to have time for four foundations. We're going to look at three foundations, three foundations from the text for living in Christian community. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere, are, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his war reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer a loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, 
and Christ is of God. This is the word of God. So um, this morning, how I want to approach this text is it seems to me they were confused in a couple of areas, and three particular that I want to draw out this morning. One is they were, they were really totally confused about the awesomeness of God, about God's role in this new uh, creation called the church. They were also confused about their individual responsibilities and their individual role and how they fit into this whole package deal. They also, the third thing that they were struggling with is, what's the standard by which God calls something excellent, by which God measures our work here in the church? Those three things I want to address this morning with you, those are critical issues for us as foundational truths in how we can live together in Christian community. And so the first is with respect to God and his importance, uh, how, how amazing God is. And in the first six verses, roughly, of the letter in, in this third chapter, um, I think the first foundation that we have to come to terms with is, is getting jazzed about God. If we get jazzed about God, uh, all the other mundane things of life will sort of fade into the background. Uh, they were struggling with this. Um, Paul says, I, 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 he addresses them as brothers he, and sisters. He, he addresses them as, as beloved, as who he, he loves in the faith. But he says to them, you know, I, I'm distressed because I can't address you as spiritual. The best I can address you as is fleshly or mere men or mere women. And that distresses my heart, Paul is saying. And that's what he says here. I, I could not address you as spiritual. Now, let's understand something, that when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God moves into your life. Each one of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ has the Spirit of God in your life. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God is controlling your life. In fact, that's the, the battle of our lives, the battle to, to rid ourselves of flesh that wants to control us and continue, continue to control us so that we can live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I got to tell you guys, you're not there. You're not even close. He said, in fact, I, not, not only could I not call you spiritual and had to call you as mere men, who, by the way, the, the uh, description is you're, you're living as if you're unsaved people. You're living like everybody else. And he says, not only could I not address you as spiritual, but I could only address you as babies, as nepios. You're baby men. You're not, you're, not even like, you're not even like men in the world. You're just baby men. The church at Corinth is full of baby men. The church is regularly full of baby men. You may have the spirit, but, the, but is the spirit in charge of your life? And he needs to be. Uh, the bottom line, uh, John MacArthur describes this, and, and it depends how your, your translation may say, but as worldly. You're living as worldly. The, the word there is uh, sarkos, which is flesh, but worldly and flesh are the same thing. Uh, worldliness is when we live in the same way as the world lives. Uh, the world itself, outside of Jesus Christ, lives for its flesh. People live for themselves. They, they live for their own desires. They live for what naturally occurs in their life, in their, in their emotions, in their, 
in their, their upbringing. That's how they live. And Paul says, this is how you're living. You're living in a worldly, worldly way. And Jesus has called you uh, to live according to the Spirit. In fact, to, to get out of the river that's rushing in the wrong direction, the worldly direction river, and swim upstream. And the way you're presently living, the way you're conducting yourself in the church of Jesus Christ is not giving you the strength and the power that you need to swim upstream. So you're just drifting downstream with the world, the view of the world, the values of the world, the way the world thinks. And how does he know that? Because there's jealousies and quarrels going on. There's, There's scrapping and fighting going on in the church. Spiritual people... Don't scrap in the church. Spiritual people are not jealous in the church. We're going to talk about that in a few moments when we talk about ourselves. Right now we're talking about God. God being all in all. So they had misplaced devotion because they were lining up with Paul and Apollos and Cephas. They were lining up under these leaders. And so uh, Paul says, maybe I'll use a farming illustration to help you understand your what you're doing and who you're putting all of your faith in and, and, and how you should be living. And so he says, don't you understand that, that maybe I, Paul, I came along and I planted the seed. I told you the truth. And, and Apollos came along and he watered that truth. But, but he said, but it's God that made it grow. He, he said that no farmer thinks that they're the hero of harvest. I, I'm not sure I really like... Have you ever seen those slogans and those stick, stickers that say, if you ate today, thank a farmer? Have you seen those things? Now, to a degree, that's fine. It's okay. Because, yes, without farmers planting their seeds, that we, we wouldn't have things that would grow. Without them watering the field, we wouldn't have things grow. But the bottom line, in agriculture and in spiritual things, the seed that goes into the ground is dead. And unless... A miracle happens. The miracle of life happens. It will not grow. And so really what we should be doing is, yes, I'll thank the farmer, but bottom line, if I'm going to eat today, I'm thanking the Lord. When I, when I go and, and the table is set with food before it, and I sit down with my family, I don't say, Lord, can you, can you thank Mr. Green Jeans for this? I, I don't pray that. I thank the Lord for the food that we have because it's God who gave it to us. And so he said that all of this kind of idol worship, all of this fanfare about Paulus and Paul and Peter, he said, don't you recognize that, that what you have was delivered to you by servants of God? But the bottom line is the reason that you are alive is because God himself caused you to come alive in Jesus Christ. So get all jazzed about God. Don't get excited about Apollos or Paul or, 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 or Peter. Get excited about God and what he's done in your life. That's what he's telling them here. Follow the spirit of God. Don't follow fleshly men and women. Follow the spirit of God. This is what he's telling them. Get jazzed about God. And you'll stop just jostling over mundane things. Compared to God's role, we are all bit players, Paul says, in the amazing drama of salvation. We are like lit candles in the sunlight. When you go out in a blazing summer, summer afternoon, summer sunny afternoon, you can light a candle. It doesn't shine a whole lot of light in comparison to the blazing fire and light and glory of the sun. 
And it's the same with the Son of God. We, we, we're candles. But the real blazing light, the amazing light in our world is Jesus Christ. So he says, we are just fellow workers. That's all we are. In verse 21, he says, so let no one boast in men or women. Regardless of how great a servants they are of God. And let no man or woman boast about themselves. Get jazzed about God and you won't jostle over the mundane. The second thing he addresses here is the role of people. Who, who are people? God, he's talking now about who God is. But who are people? There are so many destructive subplots in a church community. There's so much misplaced value and vision, what we should praise and what we should reward in church. And so um, there are a number of things he talks about here, but in particular, there are three major items of trash that really need to be taken out of church. And this is what Paul's really addressing. And the three are selfishness, jealousy, and bragging. Those three things cause so much havoc in church. Ruin churches, split churches. Get in the way of the work of God. This is what he's addressing. In fact, James wrote this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. What, what is the problem in this church? He says there's jealousies and quarreling among you. You're acting worldly. The reason there are quarrels and fights among you is because you want your own way. We want significance and praise. That's kind of our human old nature. That's, that's who we are. That's what we fight. We want to be important. We want to be somebody. We want to be noticed. We want to be taken seriously. We want things our way. We want to please our flesh. And it causes us to fight with each other. We're selfish. And we're, the world is continuing in a, to a greater degree to engender this in people. One of the guys I like to listen to preach, um, he's always on before uh, I leave for church on Sunday mornings. I just like to catch a little bit of him. And, and he, was, um, he was saying today that, I think it's in California or somewhere, that they're, they're thinking about outlawing the game of tag. Okay, get this. They're thinking about lying the game of tag because it ruins the self-esteem of children. Some of them can't run fast enough to catch anybody or some of them are always caught. So, you know, we put kids on tricycles and put elbow pads on them and knee pads and great kazoo helmets and try to bubble wrap everybody. And what in the world, what kind of world are we living in? And these children grow up unable to face 
a really difficult world. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to face the same thing spiritually. I don't want you to be so bubble-wrapped that you don't understand the realities of your life and don't under, don't, aren't, are incapable of facing the, the challenges of opposition that you're going to face. And so he says there's, there's three big things that, that have got to get out of your life. You've got to get rid of selfishness. You've got to stop making it all about you. We want teachers who will tell us what we want to hear and tell us that we are good. There's nothing wrong with a teacher telling you that you are good. But the best teachers tell you the truth. We want roles in the church to be high visibility. Hey, look at me. I'm important. I have a high visible role. I'm perceived as important. I have status and praise and pure reward. Those are the roles that we want. We've ignored the fact that Paul says here, each of you has an assigned task. And, and God is looking at how faithful you are to that assigned task. Not the one that's feeding your selfishness. And of course, if we don't take care of selfishness in our lives, we go to the next step, which is jealousy. Jealousy is selfish gone postal. There was a postman in the first service. Is there anybody who works for the post office here? Oh boy, yes, that's right, Cindy, I forgot. Okay, jealousy is selfishness gone to seed. Just for you, Cindy. Because jealousy means we, we not only want what someone else has, but we don't even, that's envy, but we don't even want them to have what they have. That's jealousy. And the church is riddled with it. Why did she get that job? In fact, not only did I want that job, I certainly don't want her to have that job. Paul says, you got jealousies and quarrels. Why? Because you're lining up and making factions in the church. I'm lining up behind Paul. I'm lining up behind Apollos. I'm lining up behind Cephas. Now, the text pretty much tells us that Apollos was likely a better preacher than Paul. And, and so it's highly possible that, that Paul here is, is sort of, he's writing his letter to the church and to the people, but he might also be writing to Apollos and Peter as well, hoping they read it. Because it's just quite possible, because this is the way people are, that when Apollos preached, everybody came and oogled around him and said, oh, Apollos, Apollos, you're such a great preacher, and we, we, we heard that next week Paul is preaching. I don't think I'm coming next week. Paul's not as good a preacher as you. And Apollos would be like, oh, oh, thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for, you, you know, for your kindness. But he wasn't pushing it back. And, and maybe they come to Peter and say, Peter, you know, we're glad Paul is on vacation and you're preaching today because, because, you know, you actually walked with Jesus. Like, Paul was kind of a Johnny-come-lately, but, but you're an associate of Jesus, and, and if we can hang out with you, it's like we're associate of an associate. We're sort of, like, really close. So, and Peter, you're so practical. You bring it down to life. Paul is so, like, I have, hardly ever know what Paul's even talking about. 
So we're so glad. And Peter's like, well, yeah, it's true. I, I, I did walk with Jesus. Um, Paul is a little bit late to the scene. And so there's factions being created. And Paul, you know, keep in mind, th this is the beginning for us. If this thing doesn't work, we're not around. If this thing doesn't work, there is no Calvary Baptist Church. The, the beginning of the church had to take. These are critical issues that we still battle with. Paul says to them, listen, here's who we really are, okay? I'm going to set the record straight about Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Billy Graham, David Platt, whoever. I'm going to set the record straight. Verse 5, we are only servants through whom you came to believe. And we are only fulfilling our assigned task. That's all. That's all we are. We're just servants who are nothing but are needed. He goes on here, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. You hear that? We are really nothing. Yes, God uses us. We're needed to serve in the assigned task, but we're nothing. And the word servant that he uses here is the word for the most menial of tasks. The most menial worker. My first job was um, to be a, a, a cleaner of a parking lot of a, a plaza that my uncle managed. And uh, when I talk about a plaza parking lot cleaner, I'm not talking about sitting on a, a machine driving around cleaning the parking lot. I'm talking about a broom and a dustpan cleaner. All right? We didn't even have back in those days the, the stand-up ones like they have at the theme parks, you know, where they walk along and into the... In, no, no. I had a broom and it had to go into a pan, and it had to, or a, what did I just call that thing? A dustpan, yeah. And I, and I had to take it and put it in the garbage. Now, I say that to say this. My, my uncle uh, worked for the, the uh, trust company that owned the plaza, the financial empire, which, by the way, I was later, I was 10 years later hired to work in, which is, which is interesting. But, but at that time, I was working... 13 years of age, cleaning a parking lot. Now, I need to tell you that nobody came to me and said, oh, parking lot cleaner, thank you so much for this amazing plaza that we can shop in. Nobody came to me and said that. Why would they? No one came and said to me, guess what, plaza cleaner? We're going to build a financial empire in your name around you. Because you're so amazing. Nobody ever said that. Why would they? Because I was just a menial worker. I had nothing to do with the fact that the plaza existed. I had nothing to do with the fact that a trust company existed. Paul is saying, I have had nothing to do with the fact that salvation exists. Apollos has had nothing to do with the fact that God is gracious. Peter has had nothing to do with the fact that God has decided to shine his favor on you. We are just servants, menial task workers who are bringing to you the truth of the amazing God who brings life to you. So please understand who we all are. We're just servants in God's field. Who he says, by the way, 
are called together for one purpose, verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labors. One purpose. Peter writes this, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And here's your one service, offering spiritual sacrifices or costly gifts acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A great sermon won't save you. A phenomenal music production won't save you. A particular song won't save you in a particular style. It won't save you. An artist won't save you. But Jesus Christ will save you. And that's what Paul is very excited about here. And he says, you have one purpose. And each of you will be rewarded according to how faithful you are in, in doing your assigned task for this one common purpose, which is to bring praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and to build the church of Christ. That's it. Get ourselves on the same page. Get jazzed about God. And finally... Verses 11 and following, he changes, to, um, uh, he changes to a different illustration. He says, not only are you God's field, but you are God's building. And he, he introduces to them something they had yet to learn. We've known this for a long time, but they didn't know. He said, you are the temple of the living God. This was earth-shattering. They knew what temples were. There was at least a dozen of them in Corinth. And they knew what temples purported to have. They purported to have a God dwelling in them. So he's introducing this concept to them that you are actually God's temple. That means God is living in us. Yes, that means that we are to reflect the truth of the God we claim to represent. Yes, that's exactly what it means. And you are God's building project. You are living stones being put together. But he says, I want you to understand that you are living stones that are being built on a particular foundation. And he says, I, Paul, I'm a master builder. That's what it says in my text, the translation, which is really a translation of architecton, where we get our word architect. Paul says, ah, by the grace, he doesn't take credit for this. Notice what he says, by the grace God has given me. I, I'm not taking any credit for this. I'm not taking any credit for my role. I'm not taking any credit for my salvation. I'm not taking any credit for what I'm able to do. This is all by the grace of God that I am assigned the task of being the architecton of the early church. God has called me to this responsibility. Someone else, he says, is going to build on it. And we have been for 2,000 years. But each one should be careful how he builds. Okay, so here's the third foundational principle. We need to get selectively strategic in the stewardship of our lives because what lasts is what brings God's praise in our lives. We are God's building. Piper writes this, every church collapses without Jesus Christ as the foundation. Now, when you think about a foundation, which is what he says here, I'm building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. When you think about a foundation, what do you think about? You think about the 
outline of the structure, the footprint of of the structure. So Jesus Christ, Paul says, is the footprint of the structure. And he talks in chapter 4 about not going beyond what is written. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. He is the footprint of the church. And the outer boundaries are set according to Christ's word. Paul says, I don't go anywhere except to build on that foundation. I'm building that foundation on Jesus Christ. He says, this is critical that you understand this. I don't go beyond what's written. Um, uh, All the others will build or add layers of understanding on top of that footprint. But the church is foundation, the church's foundation is not church traditions, it's not moral teachings, it's not social outreach, it's not humanism, and it's not, certainly not, adding appendages outside of the foundation with the explanation that if Jesus lived in our time, he surely would have changed his mind. No, no, the church of Jesus Christ is contained and built on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. And we don't go past what is written. We stay within that. And the structure itself of all the living stones, the temple of Christ, is being built up on that foundation. And our responsibility is as temple builders. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. And so we are building. But Paul makes it very clear here that your temple work will be graded. See what he says here in verse 8? The man who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose. Each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. And then and down in verse uh, 12, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. What's the day that he's talking about here? He's talking about the day when Christ comes to settle all the accounts. And then he says, if what is built survives, he'll receive a reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer a loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What's he talking about here? He's saying your temple work will be graded, and you don't build a temple the same way you build an ordinary home. Why? Because you're building the temple of God. And Christ intends for this to last. It's been lasting for 2,000 plus years. And so you build it with care, he says here. You should be careful, verse 10, how you build it. Building onto it. Now, what is this reference to the the measurement with which God is, is judging how we fulfill our assigned tasks and how we please the Lord in all that we do? He is saying... You need, to under, you need to determine how you are going to build, what kind of material you're going to use. Are you going to use gold, silver, costly jewels? Or are you going to use wood, hay, or straw? What does that mean? He's talking completely here about quality. When you think about gold or silver or jewels or, or wood or hay or straw, don't you think about quality? I mean, if somebody says to you, what would you like for a gift today? Would you like some straw or would you like some gold? Paul said, this is how God is going to determine whether or not you have, you are worthy or deserve reward for what you do in church building. 
Do you put your entire heart and energy and effort? Gold standard effort. It's about quality. It's about your effort. Because after all, the building materials, all of that's supplied by God. The only thing that we supply is effort, faithfulness, commitment. That's all we supply. And so the question for all of us is, what is good enough for God in our lives? Do we give him the leftovers? That's what straws. Straws just leftovers. Or do we give him the gold of our life? Do we give him the very best energy, the very best effort, the very best commitment? When God calls you to do something, when he opens a door of opportunity and an assigned task for you that no man can close, or he closes a door that no man can open, do you walk through that door and that assigned task and you sign up and you do the best you can? You give it the best you have. You give everything that you have towards what God has asked you to do. Or do you give him leftovers? I've got a chart up here for us this morning called our year-end tally, our, our, uh, our tally in terms of, 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 of giving to God in terms of building, temple building materials. And what we're talking about is quality in terms of time and treasure and, and talents. The question really is about whether we're fireproof in what we're, we're fireproofing our lives or whether we're just building combustible stuff. Because at the end, that's what it says God is going to do. Christ is going to test us by fire. So the question is, what am I giving my very best to in life? When I think about my year-end audit of what I've done this year, what have I given my best to? Have I given my best to fireproof things? Have I given my best to ministry and mission and, 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 and things of eternal value and righteousness and people's lives and all of those kinds of things? Or have I given my gold standard and my very best to combustible things, to things that are temporary, to things that are material, to things that are entertainment, to things that are leisure? We see all kinds and all kinds of people in all varieties in churches and, and, and behavior and what people do. And people will bend over backwards to give a gold standard to, to, uh, to their golf or their hockey. But when it comes time for the things of God, say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm really busy. I, I, have a li- I have a little bit of leftover time. Maybe I could dabble in something here, but I... Paul says, listen, so you understand how this all works. Stop congratulating each other and all that stuff, and we're just servants and all this thing, but you better understand that the reward thing, when Christ comes back and does a tally, he's going to take fire, and he's going to burn, try to burn everything that you've ever done. And if it survives, you get reward. Say, well, now, wait a second, I'm starting to get nervous here. What, what happens if it doesn't survive? He says you will be saved, but as through fire. You'll, you'll get into heaven, but you'll smell like you've been in the smoke. That's literally what he's saying. And then he has a third category here. Anybody who destroys the church, God himself will destroy. So that church is the most important thing to God. Can I say that to you again? The church is the most important thing. Where did I get that from? Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple 
is sacred. And you are that temple. So if the church is the most important thing to God, then what do you think you should give your gold standard effort toward? Or silver standard? Or precious jewel standard? Isn't it to the building of Christ's church? Get selectively strategic. Now you've been told in the stewardship of your life there's nothing more important to God than his church. Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. When you get serious about the work of God, the rest of the world will tell you you're a fool. And Paul said, then call me a fool. Because I'd rather be a fool for God and be rewarded by him than be considered wise by the world and displease him. What about you? What are you doing? What are you doing in the Christian community that will survive the fire of Christ's test at the end? Our Father, I thank you this morning and praise you because you have done it all for us. You've given us everything. You've given us life and everything that we need. But you've made it clear to us that while we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. So I pray, our Father, that each of us would take on our own labor, our assigned task, as the servants God has called us to be. That we may, in fact, Lord, give our full heart's gold standard effort toward the things of God because we love you because you have done everything for us and because we long for people to be a part of this great temple building project called the church for Christ's great namesake we pray amen so who am I I'm just a waiter I just bring to you a meal that was prepared for you by our amazing God. He's put it on the platter. My role is just to simply bring it to you the best that I can with energy and effort 
But ultimately, you aren't going to thank me for how great the food is because the food is from the master chef, the living God. I just bring you the food. We praise the living God. So let me ask you, in whatever task God has assigned you, are you bringing it with all of your effort and energy? Can you honestly say, yes, I give gold standard attention to this because this is the assignment that my precious Christ has given me to do. I jotted this down. How we can chase flesh away and from our lives and from our church. We are spiritual servants, menial task, on a one-purpose mission to build the church of Jesus Christ. Executing our assigned tasks with quality effort, no boastful talk, no idolizing people, just depending on the power of God. That's who we are. Paul concluded this section of his letter in chapter 4, verse 20, this way. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Father, we so desire to please you. We desire for this congregation to take your words and absolutely apply them to our lives. Make the course corrections that are necessary. We don't want to be a bunch of talk. We desire to be a demonstration of the power of God. And so I pray, O oh Father, that we will rightly view our God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Savior and Lord, and the one who rescued us and the only one who could give us life. That we will see each other as only servants, as fellow workers together, of our assigned task, whatever that is, to give our best energy to. And that ultimately, oh God, we will experience the amazing power of God in our midst to change lives forever. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.